Hello, hello, and happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It is January 15th, 2020. My name is Sean Oshadi, and this is the Man of the Myth podcast here on The Athletic and wherever else you get your pods. Uh, as always, we thank you so much for joining us here today. Love you guys. Hope out there enjoying your week. And of course, I am enjoying mine because this guy, he's already out there in Las Vegas. He's the goat. He's the man of the hat. He's the myth in the Man of the Myth podcast. You already know. He's Chuck Hall. What is going on, pal? How's Vegas treating you, man? Like a baby treats a diaper, Sean. Not too well so far. I got uh, <laughs> hit on the tables pretty hard last night. No, I'm kidding, man. I got in late last night, and uh, I got to say, I was just talking to Chris, our producer, about this a little bit before we started. You're seeing all the signs and stuff up. It has the air of something big, finally, and uh, it's kind of fun, man. I guess we'll gauge as the week goes on, especially tonight with the press conference and everything, but... Uh, Here's hoping this has that big fight feel that I feel like sometimes we miss in this game. Does it, it? So you're saying it feels like sort of the ingredients are there for it to come? I think so, man. You know, you step off the plane right away in the airport. You see, uh, you know, the, the signage everywhere and then just kind of taking the cab right over to the hotel. You know, I see the billboards and everything. And it, it just feels like, uh, you know, Vegas and a big fight. So I'm hoping that's how it plays out. But I feel like we're still, you know, it's weird because I feel like I'm still kind of impending uh, if it's going to be like a Conor McGregor fight or, or if it'll feel like something different. And that's the big question. And I think that's yeah. what makes this so interesting. And so let's just dive into it because obviously today is going to be all about UFC 246. It's the first fight week, uh, first big fight week of the year, first big pay-per-view of the year, first big pay-per-view of the decade. And it really is going to set the tone for what the rest of 2020 is like. Uh, and also one quick note for all of you guys out there, listeners out there, uh, before we jump in, remember... Our post-fight show on Saturday, that's going up. Free and available on all platforms, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Wherever you're listening to this, you're going to be able to listen to Saturday's post-fight show as well. Usually those behind the paywall on The Athletic. That's right. But The Athletic's given us a little gift to give to you guys uh, at the beginning of the new year. And we are definitely thankful for it. So tune in to that Saturday. Usually those go up. Uh, We record them right after the fights end. Literally right afterwards. Usually on press row. So... Probably an hour after the fight's end, I would imagine that'll be up. Yeah. Keep an eye out for that. All right, gentlemen. Let's jump in. UFC 246. It's not the deepest card, but most Conor McGregor cards aren't the deepest cards. So we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about this main event. And, of course, we're going to do it in the way that we do. We're going to make picks. We're going to make our locks of the night, etc. But, Chuck, let's start here, man, because can you remember a fight this is the, the, the fight the dynamic for this week is so strange to me and unusual because can you remember a fight that simultaneously had such low stakes while having <laughs> such obscenely high stakes at the same time <laughs> because this fight it means nothing right like if we're being honest this fight really doesn't mean anything the ufc can call it a number one contender fight dan yeah. white can call it a number one contender fight but in the grand scheme of some sort of meritocracy, it means mm. nothing. Connor hasn't won a fight since 2016. Cowboys lost two in a row via TKO. But yet the fight really does mean everything. <laughs> and in a way, as I said, it is fitting that this is the first major event of the year because what happens on Saturday, regardless of the way this goes, is going to have a dramatic and far-reaching effect on how the rest of 2020 plays out. I can't remember a sure. fight with this kind of dynamic. 
No, and it's it's the same old, right? When you come down to a Conor McGregor fight, oftentimes you see exceptions made to whatever rule has been in place, and I feel like Conor is that guy. It's always a little different, right? Like, you never know the stakes exactly. These don't seem like meaningless stakes. It, like, it's not for nothing, obviously, because, uh, it, like you just mentioned, whatever happens, especially if Conor goes in there and does what he's supposed to do, that I guarantee that's going to shake up that meritocracy that we're talking about in some major way. Something's going to happen there um, where he's going to get a fight and he's going to be in front of somebody who probably deserves the fight more, et cetera, et cetera. So there are stakes. They're just very loose and esoteric. You know, they're like, it's just, it's a very tailored to Conor McGregor. Now, if Donald Cerrone goes in there and he gets the job done and gets it, I'm not sure what it will mean. Uh, it'll mean more for the demise, I guess, of of McGregor as we know him, uh, probably more than it would for Cerrone and how he then fits into the 170 pecking order or what he's going to do. I feel like that it's really more based on what happens with Conor McGregor. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. And let's let's attack this. Let's go right at it. We're gonna hit, we're gonna start off talking about this fight, man in the mist style. We're gonna have one big question. Normally, do we do one big question for each fight? But this time we're going to do one big question for each man involved in this fight because it is uh, something a little different than we're used to. And so, Chuck, let's start with you, man. I mean, what is when you're, you're in Las Vegas, you're surrounded by this now as we're heading into really the heart of this fight week. What is your one big question for Conor McGregor for this fight? So for Conor McGregor, to me, man, I want to know, and I know we talked to Pete Carroll, our special guest on Monday about this a little bit, but we mostly got his perspective um, I want to know, man, just from everything we've seen, the unprecedented nature in which McGregor stormed this fight game, can he recapture the magic that made him who he is? I feel like that, to me, is the biggest storyline going into this because that magic has, you know, tra- has translated into major, major things. Like, you could, you, could, you could tie in the magic he was able to create, and I use that word almost literally in this case, to the sale of the UFC for four, you know, four billion dollars, and so many other areas, right? Like uh, his bigness has been felt on every level, uh, in terms of how he's perceived, everything else, uh, you know, kind of changing the fight game, the rules, like in terms of how people want to treat it, how people who want to be more bombastic, audacious, you know, they want to get out there and uh, you know, bang their chests more, they want to fight for their rights more. I mean, you could go on and on about what Connor has been able to do, but I think it all comes to the thing that he was, right? Like he was this magic man, Mystic Mac. He was able to call his shots. Um, I feel like his presence was so big that it's it's even weird to contemplate that we went through that. You know, it's like it was so historic in the moment. Um, it's kind of crazy that it could happen. I just want to know, can he recapture that? And is it tied, I guess, to just simply, you know, getting back into the win column, getting a big win or doing something? Or can he be transcendent enough you know, do something in that octagon on Saturday night that basically we're like, wow, there he is. He's back. That's what I want to know. That's really what this whole year is about, if yeah. we're being honest. And and it's it's been sort of the talking points from everyone on the McGregor side, too. Like even Connor himself, one one of the, the Ariel's interview with him, there was a lot of little takeaways you could get from that. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was just the idea that Ariel asked him, you know, have you been watching? Have you ever watched, you know, your old fights and, and sort of yeah. just sat down and looked at who you used to be? And it w- it became very apparent that, yes, Conor McGregor has watched his old fights and he's done that a lot yeah. in the lead up to this camp. All of the lead up to this from the McGregor side, it feels very wistful, right? Yeah, Like it, it feels very much like 
trying to reach for something that is no longer there, trying to tie everything back to stories that are no longer there. This guy, yeah, who whatever is was no left on hold. You know what I mean? Like all the stuff he left on hold. Now you're like, does it? Is it still have the same vitality? There's also something to the idea, though, uh, and I think you're right. Like it, it is, it is looking back at what he did in the past and trying to recapture it. it in some way, it feels like he's trying to convince himself, right. That he can go back in and be that same guy. When you look at some of these other champions from the past, you look at like a George St. Pierre, he, there was no sense of looking back with him. He comes back and it's a new goal in front of him and something he's trying to accomplish and he evolves. It feels there's something weird about yeah. it. And we w- probably won't know until, you know, Saturday night, but it does feel like there's something odd about Connor's mindset going into this fight. And, and it is this point. wistful nature, I think, that you're referring yeah, to. That I think- is a great, great point. And part of it, man, like, and we've talked about this, there was always a sense of escalation to everything he was doing. There's just, there, his fight game can't go on that way. His trajectory can't go on that way. He can't ascend at this moment to any level that he hasn't already touched. You know what I mean? Like, the the highest of highs would be him just getting a victory and getting back on track. I feel like that's part of it. You know what I mean? I felt with GSP, it was really just a consistency thing. It was like, you know, show up, do his job. It was never going to be different. Um, you know, he evolved in these subtle ways, like with the media and everything else, um, divulged weird things about his obsessions with sports, things like that. There were Obviously, there was some complexity to what he was doing, but with a guy like McGregor, it's I think it's just because the wow factor was so big and so sustained for those that, that three-year window or whatever it was that you're just like, it felt like we abruptly left that and we haven't been back to it. So it's almost like rekindling an old relationship. You know, like you're like, yeah. will this still work? Do we have the chemistry with this guy still? It's a it's a weird dynamic, but I agree with you guys. Is rekindling an old relationship with somebody who is just not even remotely resembling the person who you left them as? Yeah. Because True. the last time that this guy was in our world, in the MMA world, as the man that he built himself to be, that's not 229, that's 205. And that's, I, I, I wrote a piece today about Owen Rod, with uh, Connor's coach, Owen Roddy, and in the beginning, it was kind of like listing out all of the various things that have, <laughs> that were going on in the world the last yeah. time Connor won a fight. And it's just all of this stuff. The UFC had two less divisions. The the fir- the Force Awakens <laughs> was like the last Star Wars movie released. Like we hadn't even gotten Last Weird. Jedi. Billie Eilish is like 14 years old. Like it's a different world. <laughs> Nobody knew what Donald Trump's US presidency was going to be like, like. Look at that. It's just you really put it into world. context. I love it. That It feels like it shouldn't be that long ago, but it really is. And the GSP point is a really good point because GSP was gone longer than Connor. Like, yeah. Connor's really only been gone about a year and a half. GSP had been gone way longer than that, and yet none of the, the rhetoric, none of the narrative around him was wistful. None of it was looking at things that he had done, re-examining his legacy, talking about, I want to get back to this. It was all it, very forward-looking. It feels like just a big sidetrack in a lot of ways because, you know, when when he's winning the titles, he wins the first title, then he wins the second one. What was the what was the feeling of it? Well, he's who's he going to defend these things against? He never defended the belts. So it was like we were like, we were in a sense of pending from that moment on. Like, well, when are we going to resume? What do, when, is, when do things get back to normal? That sort of thing. And instead, you know, it was off to... Uh, you know, the boxing ring with Floyd Mayweather. And I feel like just honestly, it's been a very digressive journey. Like we've just kind of followed him on his detour, but we never got back on track. The closest we came was Nurmagomedov. Um, and that was even a little weird, right? Because he probably, 
who knows like if he deserved the shot at the time at that time or anything like that but like it, the fight didn't go his way at all and you've since found out yeah. he wasn't really in the right you know place of mind or at least he says he wasn't in the right place of mind for it etc cetera, etc cetera. it just feels like we've been on a big grand detour with him and he's finally coming back and i guess it's like uh to what extent can he you know bring resolution to some of those things he left open early on so that and that leads perfectly into my big question with Conor McGregor for this fight. Because my one big question when it comes to Conor McGregor with this fight, that's all we're hearing from Conor and his camp, both. It's a lot of that. It's this is the old Conor. Conor is back. This is vintage Conor. He's back to how he was, etc. Is what we're hearing real? Or is it just lip service? Right. What do you really make from what we're hearing from him and his camp over these last few days? And can you really put do you put stock into what he's saying? All of this, the talking about how he was drinking during UFC 229 fight week, how he's just partying for days on end during the camp for that. We had heard whispers yeah. in the lead up to that fight and in, in, in the aftermath of that fight of how disorganized and um, unfocused that camp was and how Connor was just all over the place. But those are just whispers. You don't really know. Now he's out here sure. talking about him. Is that just sour grapes? <laughs> or is that more excuses? And that's what's crazy is I didn't feel like we had a ton of excuses coming out of him. This is it by itself just a a new iteration of Conor McGregor, right? Like I don't remember him having a ton of excuses, even in the loss to guys, you know, Nate Diaz or something like that. Like it was more what we admired about him was the way he lost. I think that we're in the new phase where you kind of the reinvention has to come with some kind of explanation, which then takes on the form of excuses, right? Like so. I don't blame him for, first of all, even if this is more of like a, an orchestration like or you know a presentation, like I don't blame him for going that direction, trying to sell it like, hey, man, you know, that last fight, we shouldn't put too much stock in it, put an asterisk on that one. I wasn't really, you know what I mean? It's just like you might as well take that and plant some doubt that uh, you're a different person now and all of that. So I don't blame him for that. Um, I just also wonder to what what extent he's delusional about it. And I say yeah. that word because I'm not sure that he – I think I'm with everybody else. We've seen him prove doubts wrong through his whole career, but now it's a whole different set of doubts. These ones feel way more lived in than the original ones, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just – I want to see if he's deluding himself or if there's something to it. I mean, when you guys hear guys like a John Kavanaugh or an Owen Roddy saying all of these very positive things, like obviously in the lead-up to any fight you have to really – be careful with what you what you believe and what you take with all of the overly positive type of rhetoric like this, especially a comeback like this. We hear this every time time somebody's oh, coming sure. back is they're back to who they were, etc. <laughs> yeah. How much stock do you actually put into what you're, we're hearing though? Because it is to some degree pretty convincing. Like these guys are making a very convincing case, but you and I also were alive over the course of the past eighteen <laughs> months, and we have seen sort of the downward spiral that this guy has followed. That's a hard thing to break out of. Like the M throughout MMA's history, there's not a lot of great stories other than like a George St. Pierre of guys making successful comebacks from this sort yeah. of situation. How much stock can you really do, do you put into this as we're heading into this? I mean, he wouldn't have ascended to the level he did if he didn't have a connection to his own greatness, right? Like he has to understand how great he is. He had to show how great he was, and he did that. It seems uh it would be like, I don't know. <sighs> It would be the wrong idea to distrust that because I think that that's the one thing he has showed us is that his greatness is, you know, he goes out there and he will show it. So it's like, I feel like that 
we have to give him that. You know, if he says that he's uh, he's back on track, I think you give him the benefit of the doubt to an extent, right? Like you got to say, like, yeah, I I do a little bit. I mean, if any, if there's anything he's earned, it's something like that. Now, if if there's if you know, there, I know Ariel Hawani likes to always quote that there's a, something about satin sheets or somebody like a, somebody who yeah, uh, yeah got silk used, sheets yeah the silk sheets, yeah. and it's like uh, you know once you get used to that once you have money. You don't know to what, you know, to what extent you're kind of eroding your hunger, you know, like that want of greatness, that want to show people wrong, all of those things, all those great motivations that go into becoming who you are, you know, like, you're not sure, man. Like, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt on some level because he has shown it. But at the same time, I'm like, how can those motivations really be there once you've already earned nine figures? You know what I mean? It's just like, and, and we know he's kind of a profligate. He likes to go around throwing his cash around and uh i always used to say he was like uh, one of the happiest kind of materialists we've ever seen like he was almost <laughs> an advocate you know for like just throwing money around um i just think that given all of that it's you know you'd also be stupid to think that he's the exact same guy you know what i mean so there's a lot man there's a lot he has to have something deep in himself to want to restore that greatness and i'm not sure that it's there but at, right now you try to give him the benefit of the doubt to me i guess if i was going to have a question i know you guys have your one big question and you know now as we're talking about it it comes into my mind i mean the real question for me about connor is how long has he been back on track you know we're talking about this idea of him being back and having a great camp and he's focused and he hasn't had a drink in a few months and all and all this stuff and it seems like he's going in the right direction personally and professionally but how long has that been the case you know he's been gone for so long we've talked about it he the thing that made him special one of the things that made him special in the in the the run up to the two titles was that he seemed constantly just enamored with the sport uh, we, you know yes. we joked about the Ido Portal stuff uh, on Monday but that's <laughs> that was just his uh you know whether that helped or not that was still something he was trying to do to better himself it was doing something different yeah. out of the box he was exploring yeah ex- outside of the box he was exploring yeah. sort of the new possibilities trying to different ways to make himself better exactly he was always talking about movement and studying animals fighting and different things like that you know it's like that that's yeah. that's the 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 intensity and the obsession that it, you could see it you could see it in him where is that now? Is that is that what he he's like, or are they just? And by that I mean his camp and his you know his team. Are they just happy to see him back in the gym, like doing normal fighters training, you know, like normal stuff? Versus he's back to being that guy that was obsessed with the sport. I don't know, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like that to me. But but you know who who knows? No, that's a great point. That is a great point because I agree with you. It doesn't feel. Like that version of of Connor, the guy who was going into the Nate Diaz fights, talking about movement, animals, as you said, right. <laughs> studying these things. He it doesn't feel like that, Connor, and it would be weird if it did feel like that, Connor, because this this present day version of him has gone through so many iterations since then. Um, it it is definitely ambitious and telling to some degree what he is trying to do here and sort of the plan that he's making for twenty twenty. Because if you look back at his best years. 2015 2016 he fought three times each year and it really was he gets in a fight at the beginning of the year turns right around stays in camp gets in a fight in the middle of the year turns right around stays in camp gets in the fight at the end of the year it was an entire year dedicated to just doing this and he didn't really have time or energy to be able to mess up there wasn't room for it that seems to be what he's trying to set up for for this year but it is reliant upon 
Saturday working out. And that that's where we come back to the stakes because that's really the other question for me. I mean, would a loss be irreparably harmful to Conor McGregor's legacy at this point? Yeah. Because all, all of this, everything he has stacked, all the dominoes that he is so good at, at still juggling these multiple dominoes and getting these options aligned for him, all of those are dependent on him winning on Saturday. Right. And if he doesn't, that plan can't get off the ground. And what are we left with? Yeah. I think that, you know, it's true too. Like that. that okay. So it is, again, this is the boldness of his character to kind of plan three steps ahead. Like he's always done this. Like this is a big picture plan he wants to put together. He's been able to execute that in the previous part of his career. I think that, like, you're right. This becomes the subplot. You know, one of the, if this first thing goes off the rails, the whole thing goes off the rails. And if the whole thing is off the rails, where does that leave him? And I think that that's really... This is why, man, as a writer, and I know you can appreciate this too, like, you really understand, um, like, the fight game's literary capacity. Because we're asking these kinds of questions. There's so much you have to delve into on a psychological makeup of a guy like this, and then the circumstances and how things have changed. It just, it really is. It's like trying to, uh, you know, it's like reading, it's like you're you're reading a book and you're at this, a new chapter and you're not sure what's going to happen. Um, I just, I, it's all fascinating, man. And I think that the, everything we're talking about has more, I think that that's 90% of the, ca uh, of what's capped, um, of what, what people want to see in this fight, find out about this fight more so than like, uh, you know, uh, analyzing styles and things like that. I feel like all of it, almost all of it belongs in that kind of literary atmosphere. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a fun Absolutely. one. Well, let's look on the other side of this quickly. I mean, Donald Cerrone. This is a big spot for him, man. This is a guy who we really weren't sure where he was in his career after his last fight. After he gets knocked out by Justin Gaethje, nobody really knew where this was going to go with Donald Cerrone. He ends up kind of just having this fall into his lap. And it's yeah. basically the, the his dream scenario. He couldn't have asked for a better chance to sort of rebound and bring himself back to the forefront of the conversation than this. He really couldn't have. This right. is perfect for him. Uh, Chuck, when you look at Donald Cerrone, what he's facing, everything around him this week, what's your one big question going into Saturday for for Donald Cerrone? So for me, man, like the Cerrone one is the guy has stayed so busy that that it's like we just watch him evolve in real time. Like he's all of a sudden he's a dad and he's winning again. He's doing all these things. Like it's just and it just seems like we're just always in like lockstep one one thing to the next with him. There's always um, stages, right? He's, exactly. He's this welterweight, which then he he's a dad. Through. Now he's a lightweight. Now it's. It's all of it. Which he just breezes right through. And if you look at the number of fights he's had in the in the time since McGregor, <laughs> you know, won his uh, second title, it's just ridiculous, right? So That's true. These stages seem to be about four or five <laughs> months long, and then they move on to the next one. <laughs> he's had so many different uh, versions of himself. It's funny. But uh, to me, man, like it really comes down to does he wilt, you know, under the pressure of a big event? And I, I, I say that oh. like... Interesting. Yeah, and just knowing in previous big spots, and I'm talking about when he gets up to, uh, you know, uh, championship fights, you know, like against RDA back in 2015, you just felt like, you felt like he wasn't prepared to handle it. Like, I, I, it's just, it's it's been bizarre. Like, he can step in there on short notice. I think the the less he thinks about something, the better off he is. I think, the you know, if he doesn't have to sit and a, uh, analyze kind of, you know, he used to always say, like, that people would bring up an opponent uh, and he would be like, I don't know, I've never heard of the guy, you know, or he'd be like, I've never seen him fight. Uh, like, I remember Ale Alexander Hernandez, him saying about that, like, he just, there's certain guys, 
he, he just his motivation and the way he operates is really just like, hey, just put him in front of me and let me knock him down. You know, that sort of thing. This one is weird because it's been telegraphed for, what, three, four years, more than that. You know that he wants a piece of McGregor because everybody does. They want to punch the guy who uh, is making all that money and, you know, it's not them and then he's getting all the accolades and everything else. So I feel like this is a big event. This is a big moment in his career. I, it, it could be the biggest moment of his career, right? Like all told and maybe the biggest payday, everything else. So does he perform like the cowboy we've seen in those relaxed circumstances where he just shows up against Mike Perry uh, and does his thing or, you know, him and Yancey throw down and it's just he comes, you know what I mean? Like, do we get that version of Cowboy Serrano or do you get the version um, that gets beaten by RDA in the title fight? That's that's the that's the thing I want to see. That is a great question, and 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 I know some people will say, well, you know, that's unfair. Donald is the has the most wins in UFC history. Sure. He's obviously very consistent, and he is. He definitely is. But if you look at sort of the history of his UFC run, I think the three biggest fights of his career, we would kind of all agree were probably the Nate Diaz fight, the Hor- the RDA rematch for the title, and yep. then this Tony Ferguson fight in Chicago in 2019 because he was going to get the title shot if he beats Tony Ferguson and he lost all three of those fights. Yeah. And they were all pretty decisive. I mean, you could say the same thing back when Bisping, right? Like it was like, well, Bisping can, he can get to the big moment or he can get close, but he never gets it until he did. And I'm like, I guess that's where Cowboy is, right? Like he's in that moment. Oh, that's a great parallel. That is a great parallel because you're right. Cowboy is exactly in that moment. He's basically at the same age Mike was when he started his run and nobody thinks he can do it. And it's right. that type of same uphill, impossible, mountainous climb that he would have to make. And I think that that leads into my big question for Donald Cerrone, too, which is, which Donald Cerrone are we going to see on Saturday? Will Donald <laughs> Cerrone play this yeah. the smart way, or will he play this the high-risk, high-reward way? And yeah. you know you know what I mean by that, because in that he did an interview in the lead up to this with ESPN and three quotes stood out to me and they were all short one first one was quote i probably should but i don't think i will everyone <laughs> says his stand up is amazing so why not go and test it and he's obviously talking yeah. about everyone thinks he should take this to the ground he doesn't think he will yeah. second quote why wouldn't i stand with the best can i take the punch that's the question i want to know that's not what you want to hear from him in the lead up to this fight <laughs> unless you're a gambler but then, but then the third quote as far as game plans, this is probably the strongest game plan going into a fight I've ever had. So that's the mm. the combination of those three is intriguing to me because again, the first two quotes is not what you want to hear from Donald Cerrone right. before this Conor McGregor fight, but that third one, okay, that's something. Yeah. Because but still, but I it I can't help but think about remember you guys remember when we did our deep dive into WEC 53. One of the biggest takeaways I had from from watching that event and really watching young, young Donald Cerrone was just being reminded of how even back then, how utterly brilliant yeah. this man is on the ground. Like his scrambled, his bottom game, his submissions from guard, he is absolutely deadly down there. And that was a long time ago. And so I'm sure he is only better. And yeah. we just haven't seen that in a long time. Maybe once in the last three years, Mike Perry, that, that arm bar. Otherwise, we just haven't seen it. True. Yeah. And that's a lot. To, I, I'm glad you kind of mentioned all three of those uh, those ideas coming from Cerrone and his camp, basically. Because I, honestly, I think you should keep him guessing to an extent. 
Like, if he just says, I'm definitely not going to uh, play it smart, I'm going to go out there and bang with him. I mean, you would, if he says he's definitely doing something like that, you'd be like, this is crazy. But I think that really he's been a little bit tricky when it comes to this stuff in the past. I can't remember the exact fight. I believe it which fight was it? But there was one where he he kind of was making these promises of a of a of a war, and he went in and took the guy down immediately. Do you remember this fight? It might have been Rick's story or something like that. I don't remember. It was one mm-hmm. of those type of fights early, like a few years ago. But he just took it to the canvas, and he did that, and then he went through this little string where he was doing that right away. He would shoot in for a takedown. And you're like, whoa, this is like an evolved Donald Cerrone. But like you mentioned, we go through so many phases of Donald that um, you kind of forget that he's done this stuff. Sometimes maybe I don't I, I think sometimes he doesn't know. One of his gr- good buddies, <laughs> you know, uh uh Garcia. What was that cat's name? Leonard Garcia. Remember yeah. Leonard Garcia like he would just they would, they would put a they would they would try to give him a game plan including Cerrone who was part of his camp and within the first few seconds that game plan was out the window and Leonard's out there winging bombs, you know what I mean? Um he might have a little bit of that in him. Like not knowing how he's going to treat it once he gets in there, one hundred percent. But I'm sure he has his intentions of what he wants to do. You know what I mean? And I would be surprised, honestly, if he didn't at some point. Maybe, maybe he tests early on. Maybe he stands with him a little bit. But I'd be, I'd be surprised if he didn't try to take this to the ground, wouldn't you? Absolutely, because it's just, it's not like, like I'm not the technical analyst guy. Like I will never ever claim to have a deep understanding of the technical side of the game to even a degree, like a Luke Thomas or somebody would like, that's just not us. And I yeah. think you would agree on that, Chuck, but yeah, I'm saying it's, but the, it's, it's fascinating to me because this is not a secret, right? Like ESPN, I keep mentioning ESPN, but they did a pros prediction piece for this fight where they talked to a bunch of fighters and a bunch of coaches about who would win and how, and literally every single person whether it was a fighter or a coach who picked cowboy echoed this same thing that he would need to bring this to the ground that's his easiest most direct path to victory but yet on the other hand you you look at this cowboy obviously doesn't do well with high level southpaw pressure fighters right like you have the rdas the darren tills nate diaz you just look at the ingredients here this recipe seems like a really treacherous one for cowboy (laughs) because connor is every single one of those things he checks all of those boxes True. You have to think that everyone around Cowboy is much smarter than us and that they know and understand this and that maybe, hey, maybe Cowboy is playing with some gamesmanship here of how he's yeah. talking about this, like you said, talking about this game plan. But let's say he's not. When I started this, I called it a high risk, high reward. That's really what it is, right? Because if he goes in there and he takes that risk and he's trying to just get in a firefight for several rounds with Conor McGregor and he ends up knocking him out. Say he head kicks him to death or something like that. Like he just starches him. Yeah. That's about as high of a high of a reward as he could possibly get from this fight. I think that is, that would be then he could do something to his legacy that I think there no other outcome with this fight. Say he wins a decision. I don't feel like that even, even remotely touches what he could accomplish by knocking Conor out in that way. Nobody's knocked McGregor out, you know what I mean? Um, I could, And this is a guy who has a lot of, uh, you know, he has a share of the record book. Like, he has a lot of things in there. I'm sure for the historic record, he'd like to be the guy who knocked out Conor McGregor. Maybe, you know, who knows the first or last or whatever. I mean, he'd be, definitely be the first, right? So, you know that has to go into his thinking. He's, that's just how he is. Um, I, I think he will stand. And like, like you said, man, I, I'm not a guy who... You know, breaks down uh, 
you know, analyzes the fights for the technique and things like that as much as some of these other guys. But I'd be, I just would be shocked if he didn't incorporate some version of that in his game, because if nothing else, to avoid his own weaknesses, just like you mentioned, stay out of your own weakness. Who cares? It's okay to sometimes play to the other guy's strength, but try to avoid staying in your own weaknesses. And I think that that's really where, uh, that's where Cowboy, he, if he's smart, that's what he, that's what he's thinking. And that really leads to one of the, I think, the more interesting aspects of this for Cowboy, which you alluded to earlier, which is, what would a win here really do for it? Because this is weird, right? Like, if you ask this question even two years ago, how would a win over Conor McGregor affect popular fighter A? The obvious answer would be that it would shoot them into the stratosphere. It's Nate Diaz. It's, it's Habib Nurmagomedov. We've already seen this twice before. You beat Conor, you kind of steal a little bit of his shine, if not a lot. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case, though? I don't know I that it this, is, right? Like, his, to his, an extent, his, he has that aura, that aura of invinci- invincibility, in my mind, I, I feel like it's been thoroughly shattered at yeah, this point, no. and that's kind of the thing, right? He's trying to get it back. These days, yes. I think more people associate Connor with losing than they do with winning. <laughs> they certainly which do. Which is yeah. a weird thing to say, but... And then you, you kind of, for a guy like Cowboy, who's obviously sort of in the home stretch, like we said with Bisbing, like kind of in the home stretch of his career, you can see the end who's already been everywhere, done everything, who we kind of already just have a very good idea of who mm-hmm. he is as a fighter, how good he is, sort of where he fits into sort of the overall landscape and kind of where his ceiling is. Is that really going to, is it going to do much? Does Donald Cerrone become a forever superstar if he wins on Saturday? No. Nah. I don't know. I don't know. I because don't know, I think man. there's, I think there's definitely a world where that's the case, right? Like say Maybe. he goes out there and as I said, gets the KO of the year and just destroys Connor with a head kick I think that happens but the amount of eyeballs on it yes he could he could do that you know what I, I mean it's a, it's I a bigger say, though, event it, so it could happen it's it seems far more likely though that he even if he wins he's still the regular same old Donald Cerrone after this just maybe with a little bit of a boat boost but still kind of looked <laughs> yes. at in the same way yeah I don't know I think this fits into kind of the question you're asking <clears throat> what what his strategy strategy is going to be is he going to come in and try to shoot or is he going to stand and bang with Connor I think mm-hmm. I think a Conor McGregor, uh, a Cowboy knockout of Conor McGregor lets Cowboy pick his next fight. He gets whatever he wants if he knocks out Conor yeah. McGregor. A submission win, like you're saying, the kind of aura of invincibility of, of Conor is gone. Yeah, but if he submits him, everybody goes, yeah, well, Conor's not a not a wrestler. He's not a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a striker. <laughs> yeah, so like that right. that kind of gets uh, schluffed off. I think, if, I think a knockout is what writes Cowboy's ticket. Not that Cowboy needs his ticket written, but if he knocks out Conor McGregor, yeah. he pretty much gets the – he gets to pick what he does next, I think. Yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, honestly, I, I think that the magnitude of what you guys are talking about, the magnitude of the fight helps, right? Like, Because obviously, Conor McGregor being who he is, I just think that like something's been compromised, obviously. that uh, So Cerrone is fighting a guy who doesn't have the same, set, doesn't have the same hand as he once did. Yeah. So it it have to be something spectacular, or it's going to have to be like the the Nate Diaz fights where you see both guys on skates and about to go down, and somehow you know Cerrone digs deep and pulls it out, you know, or something crazy like that. There has to be some translatable thing, but just beating Conor McGregor, I agree. I don't know if it's going to, uh, I don't know if it's going to, you know, make him into a superstar overnight to the casuals or something like that. Yeah. Will welterweight play a factor here? Because we know Donald Cerrone is going to use every inch of that 170 pounds, that, that allowance that he's going to get. Connor, it seems like, is going to come in underweight, if not pretty decently underweight, several pounds underweight. Will welterweight play a factor here, do you think? 
Probably. <laughs> I think it right? will, man. I think it will. Like I would, I would think yeah. of this fight differently if it was at lightweight. Yeah, same here. And I think that that's why, like, your gut feeling is just that, dude, he's he's going to be the smaller man in there. Talk about McGregor. He's going to be the smaller man in there. I mean, Cerrone, if there's one thing he has done, I mean, he's he's faced so many guys. He knows how to use his advantages, and he's going to know how to use that weight advantage. That's my suspicion. He's going to know what to do with it. And um, so that I think it will factor in. I really do, man. I agree with that. I think the yeah. I think this being at welterweight, we said it when the fight first got put together. This that's an interesting move, and I think it does play a factor. I think it helps Cowboy. I mean, you look at Donald historically at one seventy; he's always struggled against the real welterweights, but he would do well against yeah. the smaller guys. That's a great like he point. would, yep. he would do well against the seven, the fifty fivers coming up and things like that. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a variable in there that is yeah. hard to define especially if you don't know is conor mcgregor really buffed up is he has he gained a lot of muscle that's going to be really hard to carry like he did for the first diaz fight etc um last thing this is sort of unrelated to the fight but i'm just curious where you guys' thoughts are how successful do you think this will be as a pay-per-view like does it feel like <laughs> this is going to be a big one Man, that's so tough. And I've had I've had versions of this question from you know multiple people, people who don't normally pay attention to the fight game, and they just want to know is this good? Is it, how big is this? You know that sort of thing. It's so hard to gauge, man, isn't it? Like I feel like I don't really have is. I don't have a good answer to that. I think that it'll still do better than you know a typical pay per view. Like I think it's going to do better than even some of those good pay per views we saw uh, over the last. Uh, over the last year that McGregor wasn't a part of, like, I think it's still going to do better. I just think that people, there's still going to be that spike of interest as long as he's involved. So I think that we're going to see a spike, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be anything close to historic or anything like that. You know what I mean? I think it's going to resemble more his early, you know, the early intrigue we had with him more in those, that those number ranges. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's going to be a bump for sure. I mean, if you look at, the countdowns and the embeddeds and stuff like that. Everything's over a million views, you know, pretty quickly when it comes out. So that obviously is a, you know, you can see that people are paying more attention to this, but I think I if there has been a little surprise with how he's been able, like that's stayed with him, right? Like, cause right. I didn't expect that to be Same. as big as it was all the, all the views and everything like that, like right out of the gate. Yeah. But I think that could also be, and I was going to say, I think the thing that maybe if the UFC made any mistake in kind of promoting this fight is that they didn't promote the matchup. They're just promoting Connor. I think people are maybe tuning yeah. in to see what Connor's saying, what Connor looks like. You know, we can pretend that the that it's always just Connor that draws the eyeballs, but it's also the matchups. You know, it's the build up it to is. the Aldo fight. It's the build up to the Nate Diaz fight. It's like that. <laughs> that's what gets people excited and i think they've largely kind of left cowboy out of the buildup uh in a lot of the yeah. promotion so you know that Fuck is probably him. gonna play a factor yeah right <laughs> well that's that's another funny part to this too which is we we open this conversation by saying that you know this is simultaneously insanely high stakes but low stakes at the same time it's not just for connor like that's for the ufc too because it's pretty obvious what you what the ufc wants to happen it's not they're not hiding it like the best case scenario and the worst yeah. case scenario are so drastically different when it comes to how 2020 <laughs> is going to play out for the UFC. Right. Because let's lay these out real quick. What's the best case scenario for Connor in the UFC? Goes in there, knocks out Cowboy in the first round, cuts a promo. And then by the end of the night, he has everybody eating out of the palm of his hand. He And he stays true to his word, gets a quick turnaround, fights Masvidal in the summer. And then at that point, that's the biggest fight we've ever seen since Habib uh, and McGregor and probably one of the biggest ever. 
Then the worst case is Connor goes in there. He looks sluggish. He either totally gasses early and gets submitted or, and this would probably be the absolute worst case, gets knocked out early. And then all of this 2020 season discussion just erupts into flames and we're back to party, party McGregor by the summer and whatever is left of that momentum (laughs) is gone. Yeah. I saw somebody mention, I don't remember who, it might have been Brian Campbell uh, of CBS, but somebody had mentioned like he's this close to becoming a celebrity fighter. And I think that if, you know, one of those guys who basically um, is more about the celebrity and the hoopla around surrounding his fight than he is about the actual uh, him being a great fighter anymore, that sort of thing. And that's that's kind of what we're that's kind of where we're teetering here, right? Like if he loses this fight, that's where you're at. I think that that's yeah. where you're at. He's just a guy who is a big name, but you you don't have any. You know, I don't think you're going to attach any significance to title runs and things like that anymore for a while. You know what's interesting though, when I when I think about this, like the possibility of Connor losing, I still think that it's really if he does lose, it's up to Nate Diaz to make it make something happen that's a good point you know if connor loses yeah, this fight the only fight that he could possibly have is nate just do the trilogy that's a great fight point. he does Nate's have coming a off a loss right. right you know what I mean? but that but that's it though and that's really up to nate it's up to nate to decide yeah yeah that that fight really does feel so much smaller if if connor loses though i will say oh like, yeah it like nate it wouldn't still wouldn't be the a side but he would basically feel like the a side of that fight at that point yeah, yeah, he'd have to come in and and make he would have to make it happen. I think, versus yeah. in the past, Connor has made always been the one that makes stuff happen. Well, guys, we have talked about this for now thirty five <laughs> minutes, and it is really very unique, very unusual, but very compelling in its own way. So let's go ahead and make these picks. Uh, of course, we have two locks of the night out there uh, <laughs> for you to use if you want. One for the main card, one for the undercard. You can save it too if you need. Whatever, it's up to you, Chuck. Let's start us off, man. Oh, boy. Where are you leaning when it comes to this fight? You know, man, having even discussed it, you know, like, you know, sometimes you talk yourself or you write yourself into an opinion. Like, you're like, you think it through on some level. <laughs> and you're like, you know, man, I think that this thing's going to happen now. I think, I've, you know, you feel like some kind of like you got connected to your instincts or something. I don't know. But I've never wavered off of this. I still think this is Connor's fight. I know that the weight is there, like, you know, the weight issue uh, in terms of the, um, you know, how big Cowboy would be. And I know Cerrone's not an easy guy. I know this. he's hungry for this fight, all that stuff. I just think that this is the perfect setup for McGregor to come back and uh, maybe sh- if, as long as Cowboy kind of accommodates him, I could see him getting it done on the feet, you know, scoring something where he hurts him and then puts him away in some dramatic fashion early on in the fight. That's what I keep seeing, man. So I'm going to say Conor McGregor by TKO. I don't think it'll be a single shot like an Aldo type thing, but I think it'll be a couple of shots. And then and then all of a sudden you'll just uh you'll see him go backwards and then, you know, it ends like that. So I'm going to say Cerrone. I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to say McGregor in the first. <laughs> I you just pulled the biggest swerve on. <laughs> no. So I'm going to say Cerrone in an upset here. No. Uh I'm going to say uh McGregor and I'm going to say probably in the first couple of rounds. All right. All right, early stoppage for yeah. Connor. What about you, Chris? Uh, I, I oh, I like r- this. Yeah, right from the start, um, <laughs> when the fight was announced, I was like, this feels like a good matchup for Connor. But then the more I think about it, the activity, the amount that Cowboy fights, the style that he fights, we, we there's so many question marks about Connor. The lefty. Uh, Part of it that you've mentioned, Sean, is true, the pressure. But I think because it's at welterweight, it kind of changes that equation a little bit. 
I feel like Cowboy Cerrone lands his right head kick and knocks Conor McGregor out in the second round. Wow. All right. That seems as likely as my scenario, so I'm with it. Right, and that's the that's the <laughs> that's the interesting thing about this fight. Yeah, like exactly. we, we really don't know. There's so many factors here that, that are just unknown and we're not gonna know until they get in there on Saturday night. But I, I'm you just go wanna see the, the UFC crumble. Yeah, that's right. Just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll split one to one. I guess I'll I'll vote the tiebreaker here. Oh, here we go. I think you can only take what we're hearing from Conor McGregor's camp and hit the man himself and cut it in half. I think some of it is valid, some of it's not. It's not it's definitely not as sunshine and rainbows as him and his team are trying to make it appear. <laughs> But it certainly is miles and miles and miles better than what we saw at UFC 229. This this really does feel like a, a at least somewhat more focused and more dedicated Connor, no doubt. Uh, and though I have many doubts that it's anything like the guy we saw in 2015, 2016, I just don't think that that version of him. I don't think that's something that can, that's coming back. I don't think that's a magic he can recapture, no matter how much he wants it to seem like, or no matter how much he seems like he wants to. Um, it does feel like this is a different Connor, but that being said, I think Donald Cerrone is the perfect opponent if you're Connor McGregor this weekend. As you said, Chuck, he is not the same guy, Donald, that he used to be. He's lost, what, maybe 15% of what made him special since these guys were first going back and forth in, in like 2015. He's He's been in a billion wars. He has mileage on him like no one else does in the UFC. He's gotten stopped in each of his last two fights. And just generally, he's been pretty brutally knocked out three or four times over these last couple of years. Yeah. I still think welterweight could be the big equalizer here. There's certainly a scenario where Donald Cerrone comes in at 171 pounds, uh, looks to be in incredible shape, uses every ounce of that welterweight allowance and just outlasts and kind of outmuscles a, a buffed up 162-pound Connor who gasses by the end of the second round. That, to me... If I am picking Connor, is the scariest possible route because it is super within the realm of possibility. But I think, and also I will add, I think Connor McGregor will lose this year. I think Connor McGregor will be retired by the end of this year. I've already established that in previous shows. I just don't think it starts here. I think this is the one that'll get everything in motion. Everything hinges on this weekend being a success. And to me, this feels like a night where Connor McGregor has somewhat of a throwback performance over a beatable opponent. He scores an early knockout and then 4,000 is Conor McGregor back in all caps stories <laughs> get penned over the next three months until he inevitably loses to a Masvidal or an Usman or a Gaethje or whoever it is <laughs> that he fights next. Uh, my pick that. is Conor as well, and I'm making it one of my locks of the night. I have been what? vocal. I have been a vocal critic of Conor the past couple of years, and this is the least confident I've ever been felt about a lock of the night, but I am doing it. As you said, Chuck, I think this is the beginning of something, but I don't think this is gonna, this year is going to play out the way he thinks it will. But I think this yeah. is a perfect setup for him. I'm picking Connor, lock of the night. All right. I love it, man. It's a bold choice. It is a bold choice. Especially All right, as a well, lock. We a... <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on your victory, Cowboy Cerrone. <laughs> hey, what did I go? I went 2-0 last time. How no, dare you? you did. You did. You did. Uh, let's see if we can keep that momentum going. In the meantime... We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get to the rest of UFC 246's pay-per-view. All right, and we are back. And gentlemen, there is still plenty to discuss here on this UFC 246 main card. Uh, as we said, it's not not the most loaded card, but there is stuff there to like. 
So let's start with this co-main event. We're going to make our picks. Uh, Chuck, Holly Holm, Raquel Pennington. Yeah. What do you see in this fight? Which way you lean in? What do you think? That's, it's a toughie, man. Um, you know what's funny is when they get overshadowed like this, you sometimes wonder. Like I always think back to that McGregor, I mean uh, the uh, Rory McDonald fight with Robbie Lawler, where they were just completely overshadowed and then put on like the fight of the century. You know what I mean? I don't know if we're going to get anything like that, but I do like when like somebody like Holly Holm, for instance, can kind of sneak up on you and and fight. And I think that that will benefit her, given kind of just the you know coming off of that head kick KO against Amanda Nunes. There's something that I, I there's something about it that I just want to believe maybe that we haven't seen the last of her that we're going to see one last big run from her uh, given her age and everything and I think it starts on Saturday. Um, I just think she's going to be able to get it done. Uh, I, I've always liked Pennington and obviously like they fought once already it was a split decision very close fight but I think and that was early on obviously in Holmes MMA career. I that think was her that debut we, in the UFC. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think. In my mind, I, I like home to come out there and get it done. Now, I don't know if it'll be like a – I could see her getting like a KO or something like that, but um, I, 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 I'm leaning towards her. I just think that she's uh, she's suited for it, and at the, there's something about the quiet and people not focus on her that I like. I think that she'll uh, benefit from that. All right, one for home. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I like Holly in this matchup. I think because it's a rematch, Holly's such a game planner. She sticks to a game plan, and, and it usually – pays off for her when she she sticks to that game plan we've seen it uh, so many times in her career and I think having already fought Raquel Pennington I, I don't think she's going to see anything uh wildly different um from Raquel than she would have seen in the first fight um so I'm going to go with Holly Holm I think uh by decision Raquel's very tough she's she's difficult to finish but I think Holly yeah. uh I think Holly gets it done uh by decision I'm gonna have to make it unanimous I, I'm also going with Holly uh, I, as you said, Chuck, I think this is going to be very telling for us to see if she does have sort of that last run left in her. She's 38 years old, kind of just fought once a year, really, over the last couple of years. She's really been super inactive. The Amanda Nunes fight was obviously very tough for her, but we'll see, man. I mean, it, it, yeah. Raquel Pennington feels like the perfect type of opponent to throw at her right now, see how much you still have left in the tank. First fight wasn't very good. Uh, I, I feel like this fight has a good chance of probably being very not very good either. Uh, but we'll see. I'm also picking Holly. I think she wins a decision. All right. All right. Let's keep it moving. Next up on that main card, Alexi Olenek <laughs> versus the man Maurice Green. He's the he's the uh, the knitter, right? Like he knits all these yes. things, right? Crochet, right? Crochet. That's it. I was trying to think of the word. <laughs> yes. Alexi Olenek versus his nickname, the crochet. Like the crochet boss or something like that. Yes, that's it. Uh, <laughs> Chuck, where are you leaning? You like do you like the uh, the Python Alexi Olenek or do you like the Crochet Boss? I'm leaning the Crochet Boss, and I, I gotta say, man, there's something about Olenek's uh, 42 years of age that just strikes me as absurd. You know what I mean? Like it's like the guy, <laughs> the fact that he's still going. He didn't. I mean, obviously, he got knocked out very quickly in his last fight. Um, so you know, you try not to put too much, but I do think that I think the fight game is kind of passing him by a little bit it just happens when you're in your 40s man so I got to go with the younger guy here and let's not forget man Green was on like a nice little run uh up until uh what was it October when he last fought and he got knocked out but before then man he was I thought he was starting to look good I almost thought he was going to become a player um at heavyweight so I feel like he got derailed a little bit but he'll find he's going to get back on track I I think he's going to score a a big KO here uh on Saturday night all right Maurice Green with the KO what do you think Chris yeah, I've been going back and forth on this one. It's it's kind of tough to read. I mean, it's tough to read Maurice Green. I guess he hasn't been super active, and 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 
uh, Olenek, an- another guy that's tough to read because he either goes in and gets KO'd early or he ends up with an Ezekiel choke and, w- and wins the fight. So uh, <laughs> I- I've been going back and forth on it. I, I'm i going to go with Alexei Olenek by submission. Wow. Uh, I- you know, it's like... That just feels possible. I think it's obviously incredibly possible for Maurice Green to come in and just starch him early in the fight. But uh, I'm going to give Alexei Olenek uh, the benefit of the doubt here, and I'm going to give him a, a submission win. I called him the python earlier. He's the boa constrictor. I feel ah, terrible. see, different snake. I knew it. Uh. As soon as <laughs> all these snakes are the same. <laughs> oh, man. Alexei Olenek via submission certainly seems like it's well within the realm of possibility, right? Yeah. Like No one's going to be shocked by that. <laughs> I don't know no, how this guy all, does man. it. I have no idea how this guy has continued to do it. I just can't help but stare at those last two fights, those two red blots on, on Wikipedia, the Overeem and the Walt Harris fight, getting knocked out twice yeah. in a row in the same year, uh, really like a couple months apart from each other at the age of 42. That's pretty rough, and it's yeah. hard for me to overcome that. I, I feel a big part of me wants to take Alexi Olenek, but that is yeah. just stopping me. I'm going to have to go with you, Chuck. I agree. Maurice Green... Uh, I think he, he he's going to get the knockout in this one. Oh, and you know what? I, I, I meant to add, and this will help Chris. Like This this makes that this dynamic work very well. I'm actually taking Maurice Green as my lock. <laughs> on the oh, main door. here we go. All right. Here we Look go. Look at this. Yeah. All I right. meant to, I, I, sh- I shouldn't bury the lead like that. I should have started with that. <laughs> but uh, I like Green to get it done. I, I feel most confident about him in this fight. All right. Chuck Mendenhall notching it down. Lock of the night. For Maurice Green. Uh, next up, women's strawweight. Claudia Gadelia versus Alexa Grasso. A sneaky, important fight for this division here. Uh, we really don't have clarity at the top of this title picture yet. Obviously, Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade are about to rematch. I think this is a very important fight, though. Where are you guys leaning? Tough. This is this one is really razor. T- I feel like this could go either way, obviously. And I think Vegas has this split down the middle, like just basically a pick em fight. Um, I'm... I, I'm leaning towards Grasso, but I have to say, man, every time I really think that Grasso is turning it around or adding some new wrinkles, she loses. Uh, the, I thought she would for sure win in Mexico City against Carla Esparza. Not for sure, but I felt like that was a good matchup for her, and she ends up losing uh, a majority decision. I feel like I've seen that version a couple of times where you're just like, oh, God, I was expecting more from Grasso, but she has never lost two fights in a row. I feel like she does add, you know, add pieces as she goes along, and she, you know, she's 26 years old. She's got a great team down there in Mexico, so I think that she'll make the adjustments and figure out a way to get by Claudia. I think it's going to be a close fight, but Grasso win a decision. Grasso did look good in that Esparza fight. That was a she really, did. really close fight. Yeah, the crowd thought she won, but <laughs> judges had another way of looking at it. She looked great in that third round. Yeah. Um, so you're marking it, marking it down, Alex Grasso for you. Yeah, you I'm going Grasso. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought she did win that fight against uh, Carla in her last outing. There, she did look a lot better. Stand up, uh, her striking looked terrific. Um, I, I'm going to go with Alexa Grasso by decision. I think this is a tough one, though. I mean, this really is a, truly a, a pick 'em fight. I think, and Claudia seems to have had a, a better training camp. She seems to be, you know, focused uh, in a different way going into it. But uh, I think I'm going to go with youth here. I'm going to go with uh, Alexa Grasso. Yeah, this is a tough one. This really is a tough one. I, I think because, right, you have two different dynamics, right? You have Alexa Grasso, who's obviously on the way up. Every time we see her, she looks better. Like, she has definitely grown over the last couple of years. And like you said, Chuck, it's, every time you feel like she's turning the corner, 
She yeah. gets a setback like that the Carla Esparza fight. But she again, she made a great comeback in that fight, and she looked good. Meanwhile, it feels like Claudia Gazelia is kind of on the downslope of the career, or at least in, in a segment of her career where she's this is kind of a, maybe a, a downslope for her. She's only 31, though, but mm. she has looked rough over the last couple of fights. I really expected her to blow out Nina Ansaroff, and she didn't. She obviously yeah. lost that fight, and then the Random Marcos fight uh, was what it was. I still believe in Claudia Gadelia, though. I think she has another run left in her. She's, again, only 31. It's just going to take... She's had a lot of turbulence in her personal life, a lot of the stuff she's had to figure out. I think she's finally on the other side of that now. And if she's going to have one more run, this is where it has to start in this type of fight. Uh, I'm picking Claudia Gadelia, and I'm taking her by decision. All right. All right. So last fight on the main or on the main card, actually opening up the pay-per-view. Yeah. This one is really intriguing. I am really really liking this fight as we're heading into this anthony pettis versus the sneaky streaking carlos diego for <laughs> where are you guys going oh man you're right I, I think this is gonna be a good fight like this is gonna be probably you know i think pettis at this point his career too just likes to put on shows as much as he does anything else um i i could see this one being a, a barn burner the thing is with Pettis, man, I feel like he's just been kind of groping for an identity for a long time. Like we did weight class, <laughs> oh just whatever. It's, groping it's for an identity is a hell of a <laughs> quote to put on the poster for Anthony Pettis. <laughs> he's just, it's 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 like I, we can't like it, it, he settled into this just like you know it's change all the time, right? Like it's just constantly changing. But I like the matchup for him. But I don't, I, I, I can't, I, to be honest, man, I just, I can't vision, envision him winning easily. It's like, for some reason, man, my yeah. mind just keeps going back to other fights where he just loses in these, in these weird ways. And just his trajectory over the last, like, five years, you know what I mean? It's just bizarre. I, I, I'm not sure where it happens. Like, the Wheaties box did it to him or something. But uh, I think he's lost to a lot of brand name guys who are, like, big names, champions, uh, just guys who are just no joke in this. I think this is going to be the first guy that's quiet forever. I think this is going to be the first guy that kind of puts it on him and you realize that Anthony doesn't have it anymore. That's for whatever reason, that's what I keep envisioning in this fight, man. And, uh, I hope, I kind of hope I'm wrong and I'm not, you know, you don't have a rooting interest, but I'm like, I kind of hope I'm wrong. I hope Anthony does put up a stand here and, uh, and get something done, but I'm going to go with Carlos here, man. I just, I think that he's, He's just coming into his own, whereas Pettis is like, you don't know where he's at, but probably on the tail end. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I'm with you, Chuck. I actually kind of like the um, the, the Pettis that, that is bouncing around, looking for different fights, just just looking for an interesting fight. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 don't, I don't like him back at lightweight, and I, I think you're right. I think this is a guy that's on the come up now in, in uh, Diego Fajeda, and I think... Uh, yeah, I just don't, I I don't know. I mean, obviously Pettis is always po- capable of knocking someone out or or pulling off, you know, some incredible finish. But I, I just I don't see it happening, and I and I think Fajeda wins this by decision. Yeah. But uh, I think it's going to be a loss for Anthony Pettis. Yeah. When do you guys think the last time Anthony Pettis won two fights in a row was? How how far Jesus. back do you think we have to trace? I don't know, man. If you just take it? a guess, either of you, what do you think? It had to have been like 2015 or 16, right? Because that's back in the wheelhouse of when he was still Yeah, I was going to say four, four, four years maybe, yeah. Even even earlier. Wow. Six years ago, 2014. Whoa. Wow. Gilbert Melendez, that was the last one when he beat Benson and Gilbert back-to-back, and he was wow, the champion he still. back-to-back fights? 
No, that's he crazy. lost three in a row. And See, I wouldn't ever have known since that. 2016, he, he's been alternating back and forth, wins, losses, wins, losses. If the trend holds true, he's going to get a win here. But I, I kind of am agreeing with you, gentlemen. I think this is just a bad, bad matchup for him. I, I was actually very surprised that Anthony Pettis accepted this fight. <laughs> because he's coming off of the Nate Diaz fight. That was obviously a huge, yeah. huge spot. Probably one of the biggest of his career. He's riding all that momentum, and then he loses the Nate Diaz fight. But he still was in that big spot. This is such a step down for him, just in terms of a profile, uh, against a guy who might... He was, might be better than Nate Diaz. This probably is better than Nate Diaz. Carlos De Hego Ferreira has really put it together of late. And I've been talking about the Fortis MMA guys for a long time now. But him and Jeff Neal really seem to be the two that this year could start making a ton of waves. Yeah. And really break into that next level for that gym that has been killing it. I think this is going to be a complete wipeout. Like I think Carlos De Hego Ferreira is going to wow. show something to some people on Saturday. Uh, I'm picking this. him, and I I think he's going to finish it, Anthony Pettis. Look at that! Wow, all right. I think it's that possible. Sounded like a, yeah. That sounded like a lock pit pick, although you've already picked your lock for the main card. So, if I hadn't already used my lock, <laughs> I would use it on this one. All right. Oh, Fair by enough. the way, guys, I didn't make I, my lock pick is uh, is Holly on the main card. I, I forgot to make my oh my wow main card okay, pick, but I'll, cool. I'll take Holly well, was, as my lock there. Well, that was anticlimactic, Chris. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so quick refresher before we go to the undercard. My lock of the night is Connor. Chuck, your lock of the night is the Crochet Boss. Mm-hmm. And then Chris, your lock of the night is Holly Holm. So we're all over the place here. I like it. Yeah. Um, all right, let's wa- wrap this up with our undercard pick, our undercard lock of the night. We have a whole undercard to go to uh, to look at here to to sort of pick from. We've already previewed this undercard last week, so if you are looking for that, look at last Wednesday's show. Uh, but in the meantime, Chuck, what on that undercard looks good to you? What looks tasty? What looks like your lock of the night? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a couple. There's a couple of fights that I was tempted to go with. Um, I, I really think Sadiq Yusuf just coming into his own. Uh, but that, that's a tough fight. I couldn't. I couldn't make it my lock. You know what I mean? Um, as as good as he's looked. So I'm gonna go with the safe bet here. A, an, an, an obvious lock. I'm, I'm gonna go with Macy Barber over Roxanne Modafferi. Now. Bless Montefiore's heart. Like, this is crazy because it's like, I feel like this is one of those, uh, hey, uh, Barbara, take out the, you know, the elder here and kind of send her on the ice floor. <laughs> like, it just, it has that, it's in, it has that feel to it a little bit. And I, I really like Roxanne. Obviously, like, she's been around forever. She's withstood some crazy things. Six fight losing streak, you know, not that long ago. And somehow she's still put together enough wins to end up in these types of spots. But I think Macy Barber is just, she still has that sheen of invincibility. She still thinks she's invincible. She's going to fight that way. I, I just think that this particular matchup, I hate to say it, but it is that showcase moment for her, like, a, you know, another yeah. one of those. So I think she's going to make the most of it. I'm going to go with uh, I'm gonna go with Macy Barber. Isn't she like 21? Something like that. 21-year-old yeah. Macy Barber. Yeah, I'm going to go with her as my lock. All right. Macy Barber is Chuck's lock. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I actually uh, have exactly the same pick. I I, I, I love Roxanne Mataferi. She just got her first UFC win uh, <laughs> against Antonina Shevchenko. I, I, and she's been – look, her striking has improved over the years. She's obviously known more as a jiu-jitsu player. But I think – I don't know. This doesn't feel like a good matchup for her at all. And I think, uh, I think Macy Barber knows that it's a big spot to prove something here. And I think she's going to do it. Uh, so I, I'm going to take Macy Barber as my lock on the undercard. All right. First UFC win. Remember she beat Barb Ponchek. Put some respect uh, yeah. on Roxanne Montefiore. No, but that name. was in the uh, the Ultimate Fighter, no? 
That was the finale. So I think. Oh, okay. All right. Well, but I'm saying like she. All right. Well, yeah, you're right. She beat Valentina. I'm just giving you crap. (laughs) Uh, All right. So I'll swerve. I'll zig while you guys are zagging because that is the safe pick, as you said, Chuck. I agree. I think that's probably the most. I'm all about preserving my credibility at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Uh, I'm gonna take Nazrat Haparas. He is my lock of the night for the undercard. He's fighting Drew Dober in a lightweight fight. I am. This is the fight that's going to determine if I'm going all in on Nazrat Habaras because I'm about one half step away from going all in on this guy. I, I love his story. Uh, born in Germany to Afghan parents who came as refugees from Afghanistan. Just a, he has a, He's a very fascinating guy. He's basically just a smaller version of Kelvin Gastelum. He looks identical to him. It doesn't make sense. I need to see the two of them in the same room together. Otherwise, I might believe that <laughs> Kelvin figured out how to cut weight finally. Yeah, but I'm taking Nazareth. I think this is a big spot for him, and if he gets a win over a guy like a Drew Dober, who is always one of those top 30, top 25 guys who are really hard to beat, but you're not going to get a lot of credit when you do. I think if he gets a win over him, he's going to sort of vault himself in that next level where he can get start getting some of these name lightweights or at least that the periphery guys, the top 20 yep. guys. Um, I'm taking Nazareth Haparas. I think a big we're going to get a big performance out of him, and he is my lock of the night on this undercard. All right. Definitely like that pick, man. I definitely like that pick. All right, gentlemen. Well, that wraps up today's show for the most part. We still have one order of business to get to. Of course, it is Wednesday. It is interim title time. Our interim titles of the week. Mr. Mendenhall, you are in Las Vegas, so let's give yeah. you the floor. Wow, that's all I got to do is be in Vegas to get this kind of treatment? This is awesome. <laughs> and you know what, man? You know who's going to kill me when he sees me and who listens to the show is Brian Kelleher, who's fighting on this, our, our old friend, Man in the Myth. Just a shout-out to him. Now, is it Ode Osborne? I don't watch that Contender Series. Is it Ode Osborne or is it O'Day? Or were you just kidding with me, Chris? No, I honestly, I actually don't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, well, he's yeah. got a fight on the prelim, so uh, shout-out to my boy, Brian Kelleher, to, uh, Kelleher too, man. He's on the card. Um Yes. Yeah, uh, part-time part part-time host of this show. Yeah, exactly. And he's fighting a, like a I think that guy's like a fifth grade teacher or something at an elementary school. So that should be fun. But uh, my, you know, this one uh, I I was thinking about this one. This was a tough week. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because of all the Conor McGregor stuff going on. But through all of this, there's a guy who continues to bring levity to social media, and I I gotta <laughs> give him a shout out, man. I gotta give Bilal Muhammad my interim title this week. I don't know if you guys checked it out, but uh, he put out a tweet that's like exclusive leaked clip of Tony Ferguson training camp. Now he's been doing these like impressions of fighters, which is uh, it's pretty funny, but it shows him basically in the gym where a coach is explaining, Hey, this is how you do that. Here's the next exercise. You got to do this. And he's doing all this kind of crazy, um, you know, dance steps and uh, esoteric weird moves on jumping through tires and things like that. It's just really, really funny, man. I, I, I love to see that kind of thing. It's kind of like it's a poke, but it's a good-natured poke at kind of one of the kooks in our game, and uh, I love it, man. It's a, he, if you haven't checked it out, I think it's on his Twitter feed. It's just basically him uh, making fun of Tony Ferguson in a training camp. So just for having a sense of humor, I'm going to give my interim title this week to Bilal Muhammad. Love it. I love the the videos he's been doing of the Paul Felder impersonations. Yeah, exactly. Where he's not even really trying to impersonate Paul Felder. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't really know. It's great, though. That's other it's, level it, right there. It's cracking me up every time. Great yeah. pick. I love that. Um, all right. For my interim title of the week, I'm going to give it to a man whose name we have mentioned several times on this program over the past few months. 
uh, and a man who the whole MMA community is behind him and supporting him, UFC heavyweight Walt Harris. Mm. He is, we are hearing now reports that he's returned to training following, obviously, everything that happened with his family and, and the loss of his stepdaughter, Anaya Blanchard. He's looking to return to the Octagon sometime in April, according to his manager, according to MMA Junkie, uh, mm. per MMA Junkie. The MMA world stands with Walt Harris. If April is what he wants, I hope April is what he gets. If he wants the Alistair Overeem fight still, I think that fight still makes a lot of sense. I hope they, I'd hope they give him that. If he wants something a little easier to sort of ease back into this, I'd hope they give him that as well. Whatever he wants, I really just hope the UFC gives him gives it to him. Uh, we stand with you, Walt Harris, and we are wishing you as much strength and positivity in this incredibly difficult time as possible as you start to make your return forward. Uh, and so for that, Walt Harris... For getting back into the game, you are my interim title winner of the week, and every all the goodwill from the man of the myth show, I I am pushing it your way. It's a very good one, man. Uh, all all thoughts to Walt, man, and hopefully this fight is not only a distraction to get him back on track and everything else, but also a healing moment for him and his family. That's a that's a crazy set of circumstances, and uh, I know you're not supposed to have a rooting interest in the fight game as a journalist and all that, but that's all a bunch of hooey when it comes to a guy like that and what he's gone through. So definitely be rooting for Walt as he comes back. Absolutely. Uh, well, hey, that's about all the time we have today on Wednesday's episode of the Man of the Myth podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening and following the feed. As I said, Saturday, post-fight show. It's going to be free. It's going to be on every platform known to man that hosts podcasts or at least the ones that it's normally on i don't know that that's actually true but you know you know how it goes you don't even know Uh, what these platforms are (laughs) that's true uh and so please please keep an eye out for that we very much appreciate it in the meantime i hope you guys enjoy fight week it's about to get going today things are about to start kicking up heating up uh in the meantime that man chuck Mendenhall, he's in las vegas he's gonna be killing it for the athletic for producer chris i am sean oshadi this is the man of the myth We'll catch you guys on Saturday.